Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled Running with Horses. If you've been with us the last two weeks, then you kind of know what we're doing and where we're going. And if you haven't, then that might seem as kind of an interesting uh, sermon title or one that might be a little bit uh, different, as you would suppose. But what we've been looking at is how to live our best life when life is not at its best. So how to live into the plans and purposes of God, how to live into a thriving life when life doesn't seem to be thriving around us. In fact, when it's kind of crumbling and falling apart uh, would be more to the point. And we're looking at the book of Jeremiah as a way to understand that and to encourage our next steps in applying that type of principled living to our experience. And we began with Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, where in answering Jeremiah's prayer, where he has basically said, God, life stinks, and I'd like for you to change it. The circumstances of my life are not ideal, and I'd like to see those change as well, please as he has brought kind of the burden of his immediate circumstances to the Lord, and he's petitioned for God to change things in accordance with his character and his faithfulness and all the things that he knows to be true of God. God answers him in uh, a somewhat discouraging fashion, and it's the anchor verse for our series. God speaks to him and says this in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. He says, If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, How can you compete with horses? And it's kind of a funny turn of phrase and a question that that God posits to Jeremiah. But basically what he's saying is this. If you don't learn how to endure small hardships, you're never going to last. If you don't learn to endure and persevere, you're never going to make it to the end. You can actually take this idea and overlap it on Paul's teaching in the New Testament where he talks about running the race and throwing off everything that holds you fettered, everything that encumbers you, everything that gets in the way of running a race well in following Jesus. It's the same type of thing that you have to have this endurance and this perseverance because we have a tendency to hope that life gets more comfortable, but what is more often the case is it becomes difficult as we move forward into the things that God has for us, that there's increased opposition to the things of God in our lives. There's an increased opposition to the kingdom of God being demonstrated in our lives. And so God says, hey, no, Jeremiah, you don't need me to make your life easier. You need me to help cultivate a maturity in you where you get to endure until the very end. And so it's with that in mind that we've been looking at this idea, okay, so how do I move into thriving life? How do I move into living my best life when life isn't going very well? And so we looked at uh, reframing the way that we look at difficulties and our perspective of challenges in our life. That's where we started in week one. And then last week we had to define what does our best life look like? Because most of us define our best life with the measurement of comfortability. As long as it's comfortable, then things are going well for me, but the way that your best life is described in Scripture, particularly in the teachings of Jesus, is your best life is one where you are made whole and where you are fruitful into the things of God, that you are made whole and you are fruitful into the things of God. And so now we're going to learn this morning, we're going to turn our attention to, I I believe, something that is an important kind of characteristic of those who have walked into wholeness and fruitfulness. And it has to do with this idea. It has to do with hope. 
Living your best life when life is less than is going to include, and I would almost say require, hope to be a part of that experience. And rather than give a lot of illustrations of what hope is and what hope isn't, I'm going to assume that you and I already are familiar with that because you already know what it is like to lose hope. You already know what it feels like to face hopeless situations or to feel like you're being swallowed by hopelessness. In fact, the statistics in our nation of anxiety and depression and the things that come along line with that would suggest that most of us are very familiar with what it means to lose hope and to be suffering in a position of hopelessness, to know what it's like to be overwhelmed by this sense and to entertain ultimately the thought of giving up to giving up on this relationship, to giving up on this pursuit. Many people are led to a place of giving up on just life in general. And what you'll find, though, in people who seem to thrive in difficulty, and we've all seen those as well, as much as we would be familiar with hopelessness in our own lives and in our own experience, in our own person and in those around us, we've also seen demonstrated people who seem to be thriving when things are difficult, Thing, people who seem to be able to endure and to persevere, even people who have a sense of joy in the midst of circumstances where you're like, there, there shouldn't be any joy there. What's the deal? What's going on with that person? And if you look closely at someone who is thriving in the midst of difficulty, you will always see hope demonstrated in some way. Somehow, they are able to respond with and to walk in a sense of hope and what that looks like. And so we're going to look at how to do that this morning as we look to be people who can run with the horses and not just be tripped up with the smaller things in life. If you got your Bible, again, get those out. Smartphone, tablet, open up your Bible app. Lord, prepare our hearts today to receive from you. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your truth. And Lord, do something in us that as we receive that, that we would respond to it in our person, Lord, in our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, that we would be people of great hope. Lord, great hope because our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we start looking at this this morning, I'm going to bring two ideas together because almost always in Scripture you find them coupled together, and that is the idea or the thought of hope, and what that is, is very, very closely aligned with and almost always hand in hand with the idea of faith, that hope and faith are something that really they, they go hand in hand and move forward down the road together. Faith and hope are often found hand in hand in scriptures. Many times when it talks about, especially in the New Testament, the hope that we have, the hope that we have in Christ, you'll have a phrase that is within the exact same sentence that alludes to the faithfulness of God, that our hope is informed by his faithfulness. And then you'll have at times places where it'll say that our faith is something that is a response to or is uh, an expression of really the hope that we have, that they work kind of in tandem and they go together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is probably the most succinct statement of it, and it reads this way. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence or confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
And we're going to focus on this verse for just a moment because what you see is that faith and hope are supposed to go together and they, they play off of one another. Uh, there's this ability to see and to understand or to perceive or anticipate what is not yet, but to believe and live life as if it already is. Uh, it's one of the ways that most often we live into the promises of God that haven't been realized in our life yet. There's this nuance and this interaction between hope and faith as it's kind of put into practice in our lives in the way that we make our decisions and kind of make valuations and, and move forward in the direction of our life. And hope that is used here in this, uh, in this verse is uh, most succinctly understood with this idea that hope is a favorable, confident expectation. Okay, so that when you have hope in this way, you're looking out into what is not yet, and what you see is favorable. Uh, hope is not something where you hope for disaster. You don't have to hope for calamity or trials. In fact, Jesus says you don't even have to look for those in this life. You will have many tri trials, troubles, right? It's coming. Hope looks out even into that type of reality, and there's a, a favorability to what is seen. It's a favorable and confident Okay, so there's like this courageous, assured, this is going to happen, expectation. And really what is being understood here is you can see what could be. Okay, you realize what is, this stinks. But I see the possibility of what could be. I can see what could be. And that hope is going to be something that has to be uh, coupled with faith, and placed in the right place in order for it to actually bring about the right effect in our lives. Hope that is put in the wrong place and is not something that is an assured confidence of expectation is really just kind of a wishing well wish, right? In the, in the old days when I was little, we went to the mall a lot, and we had a mall that had like a fountain in the middle of it, and we would always try to beg change from mom. Hey, can I get a nickel? Can I get a quarter? No, you can get a penny, right? Because, you know, it was the 80s, and everybody who was in the 80s, you guys know, like you didn't get, you picked up pennies and you didn't give your kids quarters. That's how that works during that time frame. But it was like, you know, you're just flipping it into the, into the wishing well, and you're just, you know, I wish this would change. Like, I'm hoping for the best. Some of us would say things like this, like, hey, like you'd be looking at the weather and it's like, I, I hope it rains tomorrow. Uh, but you might not look at your weather app to see if that's weather, uh, an expectation that you should even have there. You're just lamenting, I wish that things would be different tomorrow. And that's not hope. Okay, just flipping a coin and, and uh, you know, I wish things would be different. Many of us approach hope in that way. But hope is supposed to be a favorable, confident expectation of what's coming. And it is something that goes hand in hand with this idea of faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's actually faith is the confidence in the confidence that we have, really because of where we've placed our hope, and we'll see that in a moment. Now, this word faith here has a lot to do with a belief that something is going to come to pass. Okay, so there's this expectation, I hope, and now I believe that that's going to take place. And those things go together. And when they're placed in the Lord, we'll see in a moment, there's uh, 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 there's no disappointment in that. 
But these two things go together. But faith that's not coupled with hope, my hope's not in the Lord, it's not a favorable, confident expectation of what's changed. Faith that's just kind of like, I'm believing something to happen really is more fantasy. And many of us live out our lives with a hope that is more of a wishing well hope, kicking rocks, you know, I wish things would be different tomorrow. And sometimes our faith is misplaced and we're just imagining things being different. And somehow trying to use our own voice that I'm going to just say it and it's going to happen as if I hold the power in my person. And those, those are fantasy thoughts. But hope and faith that go together that are placed in the Lord won't be disappointed. When I was in high school, um, I played, uh, played football. And um, before our home games uh, on, on the varsity team, when we had a home game, there was a couple things that we had that were part of our ritual, which is part of what we did. So whenever we had a home, <coughs> excuse me, a home game, we would go and we would have a team meal together. There was a church in our community that would have the whole varsity squad over, and they had their church mamas make uh, a meal, and it was awesome because church mamas know what they're doing when it comes to that. This was not a potluck. This was a meal, okay? This wasn't a hope for the best. This was you were going to get the best because church mamas were taking care of the football team. And so we would go and we would eat a meal together, and then when the meal was done, we would all meet back at the school. So the whole team, we would caravan back over to the school, we'd go into the locker room, and we would begin to be outfit for the game. So we would, if you needed tape, if you needed kind of braces uh, for your knees, things along those lines, that you would go see the trainer, you would get all of that taken care of, and then you would start suiting up, and you would have your pads, your uniform, your jersey, the whole thing, and we would all get ready together. And there was a time, uh, kind of a timed element to this, because at a certain time, we all left the locker room. And we went up into like the second or third story of the school, and that's where they put the wrestling room. The wrestlers were all put up in this dark, dank, smelly attic of a place, mostly because they're, they've got to be up there where it's hot and gross to cut weight, right? So we would get sent up to the wrestling room up into the top of, uh, of the building, and we would go in in full pad, full uniform, the whole team, and we would go in and we would sit down in the dark, and our coach would walk out and he would shut the door. And we would spend 10 to 20 minutes in silence in the dark. No talking, no coaches, no noise. We would sit. And our assignment was very specific. Our assignment was to sit and to think about the game. We were supposed to think about the things that we learned in practice. We were supposed to think about our individual uh, positions and, and what we were supposed to do, our assignments. We were supposed to visualize that block or that catch or that move. We were supposed to begin to anticipate the game being played. And it was, it was to kind of center ourselves in a sense. It was to kind of have this visualization exercise. And it was uh, 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 an exercise that was really like, hey, if you can kind of think about this and you can kind of believe this, if you can build up a hope and an expectation, you can go out and you can do that. And there's a lot of uh, uh, athletic psychology that would lean towards that idea. And there is a role of visualization being something that is helpful in uh, going about exercising tasks. But it leans a little bit more to kind of the idea of uh, one of Confucius's quotes where he said that the man who says he can and the man who says he can't are both right. 
right? So Confucius would say in his wisdom that what you believe about yourself is in general going to be something that you experience to be true. And so this practice was a little bit aligned with that. And so there was this idea that we were kind of centering our hope and we were going to have faith and belief in ourselves. And then we were going to go out and execute and win the game. And if all of that worked correctly in our human understanding, guess what? We would have won all our games, but guess what happened? We didn't. In fact, my senior year, we went one and nine. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Whoops. There were plenty of times where I sat and I had this preferred future that I desired, where I was going to do my best and we were going to, we were going to put our forth our best effort and we were going to go out and we were going to vanquish our opponents. There were plenty of times where we went out and that is not how it went. We lost that game. We got our hat handed back to us. There was a lot of disappointment that year. And I give you that as an illustration because we can, we can tend to put our hope and put our faith in the wrong things. And we'll be disappointed in that. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23, God speaks this to his people. He says, then you will know. When you see me act and you watch me move, when you see my promises fulfilled, you will know that I am the Lord. And then he says something beautiful. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Will not be disappointed. It's so important as we talk about living your best life when life is not at its best, when we start talking about being able to endure and persevere through hardship and to enjoy the fullness of the plans and purposes that God has for your life, it is so important that you recognize that your hope and faith have to be placed in the right place. It's not just believe. It's not just hope. It's not just can you visualize a preferred future. It's will you hope and place your faith in the one who can do those things, in the one who can secure that for you. So When you look at somebody whose life is thriving in the middle of difficulty, you're going to find hope, but you're going to find that hope placed in the right place ultimately. And so we're going to turn our attention to Jeremiah. We're going to go back to that book. We're going to look at two uh, really classic portions of Scripture that are hope-filled and they're oft quoted, but we're going to discover a couple of things that I believe were part of the anchor for Jeremiah's hope. They're not the only places that we get anchored to that, but they are certainly primary places. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, so God speaks directly to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah, at this point, he is a priest. He's already in his kind of professional ministry career. He's already been living life and doing stuff for the Lord. And now all of a sudden, there's a change in his assignment. There's a change in the direction for his life. And we know that for the next 40 years, he spends his life as a prophet to God's people. Enduring calamity after calamity, hardship after hardship, disappointment after disappointment, not in the Lord, but in his people and in what is going on in the the, uh, nation as they morally and spiritually decline. And he is able to be consistent and faithful to the very, very end. And part of it comes from this interaction here. It, it, It comes from the beginning, the foundation. 
And what you find is that God speaks to him about his identity. Part of what anchored Jeremiah's hope and his faith was knowing his identity in relation to the Father, knowing his identity in relation to God. God comes and speaks to him and says, hey, before you were conceived, I already knew you. Before you were born, I had already set you apart. God begins to speak about who Jeremiah is before Jeremiah was. He speaks of who Jeremiah is before he was, before he was a So he speaks to him and he gives him an understanding of his identity. And that identity is something that is connected to God. And here's what I want you to understand, that you need to understand your identity. Your identity as it relates to your heavenly father, and more specifically, the identity that you have in Christ. Because the identity of of God's people is fully expressed, fully understood in our understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. Everything that God was doing in the Old Testament was leading towards that culmination, a, a discovery of who we are in Christ, what it means to be reconciled and to be restored back to right relationship with God. And what you find here from Jeremiah's experience is a few things. One is that God has absolutely, surely designed you intentionally and uniquely. That you have been designed intentionally and uniquely. That God knew you before you were. You also see here that God has a plan and a purpose for life. Now, certainly, contextually, like the way that God is speaking to Jeremiah wouldn't necessarily be how he would speak to you. You're not a prophet to Israel or Judah, right? He, he's not assigning you the same thing. And I've, I've actually heard people push back on this passage here and say, hey, just because God knew that about Jeremiah, it, it's not talking about you or me or anything else. And so we can't actually receive that as a promise for ourselves. But I would just say, like, through Scripture, you can see God respond in this way over and over and over again, that he speaks to not just Jeremiah, but over and over and over, those who would be illustrative of the way that God works in the lives of people, where God says, I know you. David uses the same language over and over several times in Psalms. You see it illustrated in the birth of John the Baptist at, and the, in the way that the angel uh, Gabriel announces that to his dad. Like God, God knows you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it may not be as grandiose as being a prophet to the nation, but it is no less important for you to know and to discover and to walk into the fullness of and is no less unique and intentional for your life. And ultimately, that identity invites you to be in partnership with God, that you get to live with Him and to participate with Him in the life that He has designed for you to live. And it's important for us to recognize that God speaks that over us as well, because we're prone to say, well, that was for Jeremiah, maybe not for me. Because we do exactly what you see Jeremiah do here in this same place. He says, Sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak, and I am too young. So here's what you really have illustrated here. God says, hey, Jeremiah, I chose you. I know you. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. This is going to be awesome and exciting. Come with me. And Jeremiah says, well, you got the wrong person. And he says, I'm not eloquent enough to be a prophet to speak, right? 
fact, one of the number one fears is public speaking. Did you know that? That people are more afraid, statistically, percentage-wise, people are more afraid than speaking in public than they are of facing death. Death is number two. Did you? Yeah, that's crazy. So you just need to see how courageous I am. Week up. No, I'm teasing. But Jeremiah, he, he says, hey, I, I don't do that. And then he says, I'm too young. You know what? Both of those things were probably two of him. He was probably young and probably not a good speaker. But when we offer our excuses to God, especially in uh, opposition to the identity that he would speak over us, he does what many of uh, us have experienced where he says, and? Or like, so what? You see the same thing with Moses. You see the same thing with Gideon. See over and over men and women of God who God says, hey, this is who you are and this is what you're going to do and this is how our, we're going to partner together in the exciting life I designed for you. And they say, yeah, but, 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 but. And he says, and? Because the, the, your, your past excuses or your seemingly things that would be disqualifications for you are non-factors for God. He just says, yeah, and? We're not relying on you you're going to rely on me. I'm not putting my hope and my faith in you. You're going to put your hope and your faith in me. We're not going to pursue your plans and purposes for your life or the designs that you have for the way that you would live. We're going to walk into the faithful promises I have for you. See how that changes things? The hope and faith have to be put in the right place. And Jeremiah found hope in his identity and the way that he related to God. The second passage of Scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11, and this is probably the most often quoted passage in all of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, contextually, God actually isn't saying this to Jeremiah. He's saying this through Jeremiah to all of his people. And it's in response to God telling them, hey, you're going to endure hardship and you're actually not going to see the fullness of what I'm going to do. But rest assured, I'm always faithful to my promises. And those who see it in that day are going to recognize it for what it is. And then he goes back to this. You can just take it to the bank that I have a plan and that I have a purpose for you intentionally, personally, and that the ultimate expression of that, the fullness expression of it, will be something that gives you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. And again, I've heard people look at this passage and say, well, that doesn't count for us. That's a promise that God just gave to them at this time, and it's the only way that it could be expressed. But if you read Scripture from front to back, that is always God's intention. In fact, last week we talked about it. What does it mean to live your best life? It's always something that is expressed with the idea that you are being made whole and that you are becoming fruitful, that you are being made whole and becoming fruitful, that God has a future and a hope for you despite of what your present circumstances are. But our hope and our faith, if it's going to see us through, if we're going to endure, if we're going to not stumble on the flats while we're racing men, but we're going to run up the hills charging with horses... It's going to require our hope and our faith to be placed in the right place, and more importantly, to be placed in the right person. Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us that God has already gone before us. God has already gone before us. 
And so the hope that Jeremiah had is something that was formed by two thoughts. One is that he understood his identity. And two, he understood that God had a destiny. And identity and destiny understood and going together where it is informed by a hope and a faith in God. It will not be disappointed. It will not be disappointed. And when you get to the New Testament, when you get to the theology of Paul, when you get to a really deep understanding of what it means for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, what it means to be in Christ, which is Paul's favorite phrase to indicate what it means to be a follower of Jesus or to be what we would say is a Christian. When you understand yourself in Christ, there are two things that become very, very clear. That in Christ, you have a new identity, and in Christ, you have a new destiny. In Christ, you have newness of life now into eternity. That in Christ, those things are formed. And when we under, understand ourselves in that way, the way that we live our life, especially in difficulties, begins to change. Many times when we look at difficulties and we are not uh, thinking about our identity in Christ and understanding our destiny that we have in Him, we begin to look at the troubles in our lives and we start to make some assumptions. Sometimes tell ourselves these things, right? My life stinks. I deserve that. My life stinks and I did that. Maybe you did. That could actually be true. My life stinks and it could never be different because this is just who I am. See, we can, we can start to have our identity wrapped up not in who we are in Christ and how we relate to our Father, but in our brokenness and our experiences. And those are not hope-filled thoughts. Those are not faith-filled thoughts and those do not live into a best life when life is not at its best it's it sends you down the down the drain i found a a statement that somebody had made about who they understood themselves to be in christ taking a number of different ideas from the new testament number of different scriptures and promises of this is who you are in jesus and this is how they described it and i want you to just think for a moment whether this is a hope-filled statement It is, by the way. Who I am in Christ. I confess that I am an awesome spirit being made in his image, saved by his grace, totally loved by God in spite of my performance. I'm completely forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ who died for me. I am daily empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in me and desires to live through me. Absolutely nothing can touch my life apart from God's permission. I am a child of the eternal King, welcomed into his presence at any time and for any reason. I am heaven-bound and joy-filled. I am his special treasure, and he knows me by name. That's a different understanding of your identity than I'm broken. I'm too fill in the blank for the things that God would have for me. That type of identity is informed by who we are in Christ. And that type of identity speaks of a destiny that we have hope and faith for. A favorable, confident expectation 
and a belief that it's going to come to pass. Church family, if you would stand, worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to respond in just a few ways this morning. And I want you for just a moment to entertain a few questions. You can do this kind of with your eyes open if you would wish. Just kind of use this as a, a, a time to entertain these thoughts. I just want you to think for a moment, where, where in your life are you contending for hope? Maybe a, a better way to think about that might be like, where, where in your life are you feeling hopeless? Where is it a sense of hopelessness? Where is there a sense of overwhelming doubt? Where is there a sense of less than or diminishment? Where are you entertaining the idea that all the things that have been spoken of you, of who you are in Christ, that somehow those don't apply to you because of X, Y, and Z? Like where, where are you struggling with a sense of hopelessness today? maybe you misplaced your hope. You haven't been confident in your expectation of how God would move in your life. You've just been flipping pennies in the well, hoping for something to be different. Man, I just wish my life didn't suck. I just wish I didn't have to go through this. You're just kind of kicking rocks and eoring your way through life, but there's no real hope that's being placed in the Lord. Where, where have you misplaced your faith? Where you're just entertaining a, a fantasy of how things might or could be different. If you just got that one lucky break or if you were just able to make that one move, but you're not putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, you're really putting your faith and your ability to manipulate your own circumstances or to have something fall in your favor. Lord, for any areas like that this morning, we would offer them back to you. And Lord, in that offering, we would say, Jesus, we put our hope in you. We again put our faith in you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live our lives in a way where our hope and our faith, that they go hand in hand. That we don't live our life in a way where we simply wish for change or we spend our time imagining something different but that we live our lives in faith-filled hope, having a confident expectation and an absolutely unwavering belief that Jesus is at work in our lives. And Lord, we would make it even personal today. And we would speak these words to you. Jesus, you are my hope. And I again put my faith today. Maybe you need to say that for yourself. Maybe you need to give that actual voice. Maybe you need to agree with that in your heart or in your mind today. And if so, just do that as I would repeat those phrases. Jesus, you are my hope. And I put my faith in you today. Lord, we know that our hope, when placed in you, it will not be disappointed that we can live a hope-filled life of faith where we learn to run with the horses, living our best life, even when life doesn't seem to be at its best. We 
thank you for that. Your grace and your goodness demonstrated in our lives. And we remind ourselves once again, you are good. We sing that today. You're a good father. And we can trust you with our identity and our destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Action steps for this week. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you can snap a picture here. Or you can catch these online or on Facebook later on in the week as reminders. Number one, remind yourself of your identity in Christ. It actually wouldn't be a bad habit to do this daily. Number two, once again, place your hope in Him in response to that reminder. And then number three, respond in faith. Put it into practice. Put it into action. The hope that you have in Him. 